0: you this morning before we begin, my uh, voice is fading fast unfortunately, so uh, I've had my tea, my hot tea and uh, I lip sync through the songs. so hopefully I can make through it. If, if we have to turn the volume way up, we're going to get through this, okay? I promise. Sorry you have to hear me hear this kind of voice this morning, but it's the way it goes, right? A few weeks ago, I came across an article counting down the top 25 biggest product flops of all time, <clears throat> and let me share a few of these with you. Here's number 20, Coors Rocky Mountain Springwater. Now this flopped, and the reason why the critics say is because if you're one of the most popular beer brands in the world. Pretty safe to say that even your most loyal of customers is not gonna to wanna to buy a of water from you. So this flopped. Number 17, Colgate kitchen entrees. Sounds yummy, doesn't it? At one time, Colgate decided to use its name on a range of food products. Needless to say, the products never left U.S. soil. The idea must have been that they had, you know, must have been that, you know, consumers would eat these entrees and then brush their teeth with Colgate toothpaste afterwards. But uh, you'll probably agree that uh, when most people hear the word Colgate, really doesn't get your taste buds tingling, does it? How about number twelve on the list? You can hardly see it there, but it's Frito Lay lemonade. Seems like a pretty good idea, right? I mean, eating salty corn chips makes you thirsty, and lemonade can cure that thirst. Unfortunately, when you hear the name Fritos, um, um, you know, thirst quenching is not an adjective that comes to mind, is it? How about number seven? Ben Gay aspirin. Now, Bengay is a, is a good cream for relieving all sorts of aches and pains, but the idea of swallowing Bengay, not so appealing, right? So this product flopped as well. And, and a lot of you in here will remember the number one on the list. New Coke. Y'all remember New Coke? Oh, yeah. In the late 70s, early 80s, Coke began to face stiff competition from other soft drink producers. So to remain in the number one spot, Coke executives decided to stop production on their classic cola in favor of new Coke. The public was outraged. Coca-Cola was forced to uh, relaunch its original formula almost immediately. They learned the hard way. You don't mess with a good thing, right? You don't mess with success. Let's be honest. These companies and their products are household names, aren't they? Coors, Colgate, Frito Lay, Ben Gay, Coca-Cola. These are well known. And they did not get to where they are today by accident. Each of these companies had smart men and women who had made some extremely wise decisions along the way that have led to their success and since then each of these companies has enough money to hire the best the the brightest the most creative people to come to work for them but the truth is even the brightest most creative of people even the most successful of companies at times fall short don't they And we know this to be true in other ways. Sometimes the best of filmmakers make movies that tank at the box office. Sometimes the most gifted of athletes make careless mistakes and cost their team the game. Though good has come from human abilities and human wisdom, it falls short. From this passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul, this is going to be Paul's message to the church at Corinth. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 31 this morning. For the past few weeks, I've been talking about the fact that the church in Corinth, it had issues, right? Paul had received word that this church was being greatly influenced by the godless city of Corinth, and it was causing problems in the church. And let's be honest, we can relate, can't we? I mean, this speaks directly to us today. Today, there are some in our churches who are challenging and questioning the word of God because of the influences in the world. I saw a segment recently on the news about a so-called church that was uh, wanting to remove the cross from their building. And when he was interviewed, he said, well, we have a lot of people from diverse religious backgrounds and some that aren't even religious at all, which kind of doesn't make sense, does it? That they'd be coming to church. And he said, "They, they really feel as if The the teaching that Jesus is the only way of God is offensive. So to to appease them and be more inclusivistic, we remove the cross from our church building. And you can probably imagine the, the message of the cross has probably been removed for a time longer than that. I know this is a bit extreme, but the church at Corinth felt a similar tug by human influences to put a a lot of stock into human wisdom. Well, how does Paul respond? Same as the pastor we just mentioned? No. The exact opposite, doesn't he? Remember last week in verse 17 he calls for the Corinthian believers to abandon these influences that are dividing the church and center upon the gospel. Center upon the cross of Christ. When this passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul builds upon what he was teaching in, in last week's passage. And he is going to call for the believers here to not put so much stock into human personalities and human reason and wisdom. And here's why. Number one because human wisdom rejects the message of the cross. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul makes the point here that when you hang your hat on human wisdom, when you value it, when you elevate it above everything else, this will naturally lead to you rejecting Christ and the cross. That should make sense to us, right? I mean, think about it with me. Those who value human wisdom, what do they do? They elevate self, don't they? They promote human reasoning and self-effort, and they believe these to be the things that are the answers for life, for, to, to make this world a better place. And oftentimes we buy into this we truly think that through self-effort and human reason we can make this world a better place but guess what gospel tells us the opposite it does it teaches that our thoughts and our actions apart from God are are corrupt in fact Scripture teaches us that human reason is the reason why our world is a mess to begin with. Think back with me to the very beginning. Didn't Adam and Eve prove this to be the case? God had told them, you may not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden or touch it or you will die. And remember they chose to listen to Satan And to to trust in themselves rather than believe and trust in God. And as a result of this act, what happened? Sin came into the picture, right? And it ruined and wrecked God's perfect world. Though they thought this decision that they made apart from God was going to make life better as if it wasn't perfect already. What happened as a result? of them trusting in themselves is that life got much, much worse. This is just one of the many times in Scripture that we see this, isn't it? Oftentimes we see people make this mistake and suffer the consequences. Look at verse 19. Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Here Paul is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 29 14. Isaiah had issues with this, didn't he? He dealt with this as well. Paul is, is 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 quoting Isaiah here to make the point once again. Trusting in human wisdom has and will always have devastating consequences. The same was true in Isaiah's day, in Paul's day throughout the Bible, throughout human history, and the same is true today. People truly believe that human wisdom is the answer. But scripture teaches us that what it is, is it's actually a hindrance, and it's the reason why state of things are are the way they are in the world. But from the other side, those who, who pride themselves in, in human wisdom, who rely upon it, they say the exact opposite. They say it's the Christian faith that's actually holding us back and even to blame for the evils in the world. Prominent atheist Bertrand Russell once said this, I say quite deliberately that the Christian religion, as organized in its churches, has been And still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world God's Word says the opposite doesn't it scripture tells us going at life on your own apart from God relying on human wisdom for guidance and direction in this life is is sin and the reason for all the evils in our world. Christ is not what's wrong with the world. Get this. He's what the world needs most. Only through him do lives change in general for the better. Second reason why we should not put so much stock into human wisdom is because human wisdom does not ultimately get you anywhere. Look at verses 20 and 21. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? Where is the scribe? Skip that. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul is calling out the experts here those who are admired for their intelligence who are praised for their accomplishments the wise here are probably someone schooled in worldly wisdom sort of like Solomon who knows all there is to know about the world and how it works the scribe Paul mentions here maybe a reference to a devout religious leader one who has all the holy books Committed to memory a legalistic person who relies heavily on good works to get by the debater it's Probably a reference to a a philosopher a deep thinker one who Claims to have all the answers to the deep questions of life and those who can who can successfully argue their points Paul is calling these guys out. He's saying, where are these guys? Now, it's important to note here, by calling these guys out, I want you to understand, Paul is not saying he's against human wisdom altogether and and that there's nothing to be learned from it. You know as well as I do that, that there are all sorts of helpful benefits that come through human wisdom. I mean, think about our modern world. We've come a long way since Paul's day, right? For example, we've made great strides in the area of of medicine. Human life expectancy and the quality of life are at an all time high. We've made great strides in technology. Today we have some of the most advanced forms and means of communication in the history of the world. But even though we've made great strides in these areas, there are other ways in which we've not come very far at all, right? Some would say we've even gone backwards. For example, though we've had all these advancements in the area of medicine, there really hasn't been any progress in explaining what life is all about. Though we've made great strides in our legal systems, in our theories on the way laws to be applied we still cannot explain why people continue to hate and exploit and abuse and kill one another at an increasing and alarming rate though we have some of the most advanced forms of communication in the in the history of mankind are we really better at communicating with one another If we are, then why are our families at odds with one another? And divorce rates through the roof. Paul is saying, where are these guys on these issues? If scientists, religious leaders, and, and philosophers are the cream of the crop, then why don't they have the answers to the most fundamental and foundational questions of life? If I claim to be good at a sport, you would assume that I understood the most basic and fundamental aspects of the game, right? That's what Paul is, is, is questioning about, about these guys in Corinth. Once again, he's not saying there's no good that can come from these guys and their findings. He's just saying that, that, that their wisdom falls short it only takes us so far truth is human knowledge it does fall short in the most crucial of ways in answering these fundamental and foundational questions of life questions like who is god and if so what is he like who are we why are we here what's wrong with the world Let's take just a moment to look at this first question about the existence of God. Human knowledge has never, nor will it ever, bring a single person to true knowledge. True knowledge of the living God. And that's what Paul says here in verse 21. He says, the world did not know God through wisdom. Human wisdom, it falls short in this way. Though we have a ton of people in our world today, like Paul describes in verse 20, with more degrees than Fahrenheit. Though they're praised by our world and put up on a pedestal, they are still torn over the basic, fundamental, foundational questions of life. But guess what? Guess what God's done for us? He's provided answers for those questions in his word. The scriptures tell us who he is, what he's done for us. The scriptures tell us why we're special. Some people think we're special, they just don't really know why. Scripture tells us why, because we are created in the image of God. Scripture tells us what's wrong with the world. His word also tells us that God has created us to live in relationship with him, and that relationship is possible through the person and work of Christ. I know some of you are here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, Graham, I already know these things. I mean, you're not, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. I mean, I know human wisdom falls short. I know that God has provided the answers to the most important questions of life in his word. You, you, you're not telling me anything I don't already know. Well, let me ask you this, are you making it known? You may know it, but are you making it? No. Paul said at the end of verse 21, it pleases God when this message is preached. There are so many competing doctrines out there in our world today. People who are who are putting so much stock in the human wisdom, they're, they're adopting beliefs that fall short. They're adopting beliefs that fail to answer the most basic, fundamental, foundational questions of life. They're adopting beliefs that do not save. But we have answers, we do. We have answers given to us by God through his word let me ask you this morning will you take this message given by God out to the world Who's putting stock into things putting stock into human wisdom that, that falls short that, do, that does not save will you take this message out to them so that those who believe can be saved that's what we're called to do Called to be witnesses of the truth. May we be representatives of God in this way. Here's the third reason why we should not hang our hat on human wisdom is because human wisdom attempts to improve upon God's message. Look at verses 22 through 25. Paul says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul lived in a demand-driven culture the Jews demanded one thing the Greeks another the Jewish people they were looking for a a powerful victorious miracle-working Messiah and though Jesus was those things he was not the Messiah they were looking for they were looking for someone to to, to burst on the scene large and in charge someone who is going to take over the reins and set up a an earthly kingdom start a, a visible physical rule here on earth so the crucifixion was a stumbling block for the Jews they didn't view Jesus as powerful victorious but as a weak cursed failure they did the Jews believed anyone killed by way of crucifixion was cursed it's what their law taught in, in Deuteronomy 12, anyone who hung on a tree all night and was not buried, it, it, uh, they would defile the land. So, for that reason, the idea of a crucified Messiah was a difficult concept for the, for the Jewish people to grasp. Paul also says here, the Greeks, they seek wisdom. Once again, the non-Jewish people in Paul's day relied heavily on their own wisdom The idea of a man hanging on a cross to save the world sounded absurd to them. They didn't get it. They thought the idea of a suffering God was was completely irrational. They thought, how idiotic to place your faith and trust in a suffering God. I mean, I don't get it. And isn't this the sentiment of our world today? Those in our world today? I think it is. Like in the first century, there are many in our world today who think it ridiculous to suggest that that a Jewish teacher being put to death by his own people 2,000 years ago on a wooden cross, the the, the idea that that would have any relevance in our lives today in the 21st century, people think that's foolish. What's so alarming in this text is Paul says this is not just the the mentality of those outside the church it was was being seen within the church at Corinth once again the unbelievers in and throughout this godless city were influencing those within the church and they were putting these ideas in their head and I, I think we have a similar problem today we see these influences today don't we I know some churches today that reason in this way. They think, you know what? The cross is just, it's not the sort of message that's going to fire people up. You know? It's not the sort of message people get excited about. It's not the sort of message that's going to help us grow numerically. It divides people. It's not seeker-sensitive enough. So let's just avoid it. Listen, no matter what, the cross of Christ is to be our central focus as believers and as a church. Though Paul became all things to all men to, to have an audience for Christ, he did not compromise the gospel. Though he allowed his message to be shaped by culture, he, his, his, uh, the truth of his message was driven by Scripture. He unapologetically preached Christ and Him crucified. And I too want to make a a public promise to you this morning. I will never apologize for preaching Christ and Him crucified. Never. I've made a commitment to preach the Word of God and to emphasize what god emphasizes therefore i cannot and will not allow the pressure from the world to to influence me to water down this message god won't stand for it you know why verses 24 and 25 christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The worldly wisdom says the, the cross is foolish and weak, Paul says it's wiser and more powerful than the greatest of human wisdom and strength. How about that? Though many see no benefit, Spiritually in the cross, here's the truth. The cross is the most incredible, most important, most spiritually beneficial accomplishment in all of human history. Because through the cross, the impossible is made possible, isn't it? By looking to the cross, by placing our faith and trust in the personal work of Christ, we who are sinners, we who are against God, we who are without hope, are forgiven, made right with God, and made secure for all eternity. Fourth and final reason why we're not to put too much stock in the human wisdom. Because God has chosen to work through the foolish. This will humble us a little bit. But it's good. Look at verse 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I have said already, Corinth was like the New York City of the first century. I mean, it was a place that idolized rich, successful, good-looking, influential people. And and we've also talked about at length already that that the church in Corinth, the Christians at Corinth, who had been called out of this city by God and set apart for his purposes, they were still being influenced by and longing to be like the people in this city of Corinth. Remember we talked about last week that many of them were attaching themselves to men of faith to make a name for themselves. Some were saying, well, I follow Paul. Well, who cares? I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. Well, I follow Jesus. And they were bragging about who had baptized them. And and they were letting their earthly desires for power, for success, and for influence to affect their behavior in the church. So Paul writes and and puts takes the wind out of their sails. He writes here to humble them. He says, Hey, this is basically what he says. "I, I knew you guys before God called you out. You were none of these things, you weren't educated. You weren't rich. You weren't popular, influential people. You guys were nothing to write home about. You were nothing special. You weren't superstars. You were the kid picked last in line. You weren't intelligent. You weren't a scholar. You were below average. You weren't Mr. Popular. You were the kid eating alone at lunch. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? But why is Paul saying these things? Because he wanted them to remember they were not chosen by God because of who they are. They were not handpicked by God because they were outwardly impressive. He wanted them to remember when God saved them. He saved them in spite of who they are so that he would receive all the glory so that when they boasted they could boast in no one but God look at verse 30 and 31 and because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord anyone in here has ever thought about salvation as being a work of man. If you've ever looked back at your salvation experience and say, hey, I did that, you gotta think again. Because look at this verse of Scripture. Paul says, because of Him, capital H, you're in Christ. Who's the Him here? You, me, no, God. God. We see that at the end of verse 29. The hymn here is God, isn't it? Paul is making the point here, salvation is solely a work of God. He's making the point once again, you Corinthians, you're nothing special. The only thing that's special about you is Christ. Therefore, boasting God because it's his work And he's done. This has been Paul's emphasis throughout this text of Scripture. He's saying here, the reason why you're significant, the reason why you've been called out by God, the reason why you've been bought by the precious blood of Christ, and, and, and the reason why you've been made right with God is because I did this work in you through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Believers, the favor that God has shown you and me is unmerited. It's undeserved, that's what grace is. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and that's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Let me end with this. Maybe you're here this morning, and up to this point in your life, you've been putting all your your eggs into the basket of, of human wisdom you've rejected God's rule and reign in your life you're going at life on your own and you're thinking up to this point in your life is you know I decide what's best for me I'm gonna trust in no one but myself it's worked out for these people out here why can't it work for me though like I said earlier I I agree that a lot of good has come from human wisdom it falls short in the most crucial of ways human wisdom fails to adequately answer the most basic, fundamental, and foundational questions of life. Human wisdom does not save. It falls short in the most crucial of ways. But the good news is this. Where human wisdom has fallen short, God has come through. He's come through. He provides the answers to those questions in His Word. in in this book right here, God's book, we learn who He is, and we learn about who we are, and we learn about the fact that we've sinned against God, and we learn about the fact that that this sin, the sin in our life and the sin in our world, is what is wrong with our world today. But we also learn in this book that God's love for us is so great. He desires for us to live in relationship with Him and that desire is is so immense that He sent Christ. Christ came to, to live life for us. He came and gave His life for us as our substitute in perfect sacrifice so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with God if you're restless here this morning because you've searched for fulfillment in this life and in this life alone, if you're restless because you've put all your stock into human wisdom and it's it's fallen short, I want to invite you this morning to place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus so that you can be made right with the only true and wise God. Let's pray.